Well, last night I was uh, finishing up uh, my sermon. I was just getting started. Last, no, I'm kidding. I was I was almost done, and uh, uh, my seven-year-old daughter came downstairs into the basement where I was working, and, and she said, uh, um, what, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm finishing up my sermon. Just get ready for tomorrow." And she said, "Well, um, I think you should preach this." And she she must I think she's going to be a preacher. She gave me three points. She said, uh, "Number one, tell the truth. Uh, number two, be helpful." And number three, don't be like the devil. Like, that's perfect. I think I'm going to preach that today. So, yeah, I guess I'll talk a little longer than that. But that really is about all we need, isn't it? Um, now, actually, I want to start off with an old story. Uh, this is a really old story from the Reader's Digest. I, I don't, I'm not, I wasn't sure what that was, but I heard it used to be something. Um, but the story is told of a man who had a dream in which an angel showed him two doors. One marked heaven and the other hell. Curious, the man went to the door marked hell. Inside, he saw 12 people who sat around a cauldron of steaming hot soup. Beside, beside them were large spoons, too large, in fact. The spoons required both arms and all of one's might to lift and place in the cauldron. Many were able to get food on the end, but the weight of the spoons caused them to tip over as the people brought the food to their lips. Those in hell were never able to eat from the deep cauldrons. The spoons were too long and too heavy. Most in hell, the angel explained, have spent long hours trying to feed themselves, but have failed again and again. The dreamer watched them staring, starving, and he recoiled from hell's doorway. These people have no hope, he thought. It seemed that God was mocking them. It is torture, he said to the angel, to, to have what you desire sitting before you, yet be unable to have even a taste. Turning, he opened to the door marked heaven. Inside, he saw 12 people sitting around the deep cauldron of soup with spoons too large to lift to their lips. The room was the same as the one in hell, the same light, the same size. But in this room, there was joy unlike anything the man had ever seen. He and the angel were caught up in the laughter. There was singing. They celebrated for long hours as, as the soup set boiling before them. Leaving, the man was puzzled by the contrast between the two rooms. One was so filled with joy and the other a prison of misery. Certainly those in heaven were in denial. Perhaps they had grown content with want. The dreamer, dreamer asked the angel why those in heaven were happy and while those in hell were, were not. The angel said those in heaven have learned to feed each other. I thought that was a very helpful for what we're going to talk about this morning. The idea of heaven and the idea of, of heaven on earth is full of community, is full of living life together. The idea of hell and even hell on earth is full of isolation. And so what separates the two? Well, Jesus, obviously, but what did Jesus say about the differences? What did he teach that would make such a, uh, even a similar situation here on earth so different? The kingdom of heaven is full of humility. God and, and people put in their proper place. We love God first, we love others, and then we love ourselves. And I think in, in that order is how it should be. We have to remember to love ourselves because that, sometimes that's hard to do. But when we reverse the order and we love ourselves first and then others and then God, well, it's very easy for that to happen, but it's such a risk. It's very dangerous. The mindset of hell and of Satan is to lead it, it's to lead us to assume that everything is for me. Everything is, is, is about me. And then with this attitude comes loneliness. 
as we get into our Seven Deadly Sins series. Colin started us off last week. Um, you've probably caught on that I'm talking about the first one that we list is pride. And, and like the introductory story, when pride becomes normal, everyone starves. And I'm not talking about food. See, pride has been an issue since the very, very beginning of time. The first people, back with Adam and Eve, recorded in Genesis chapter 3, Satan de- deceived Adam and Eve by tempting them to believe that they would be like God, that they would gain wisdom if they ate the forbidden fruit. And, and the serpent, he denied that, uh, that God had any authority to judge them. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. See how this sin can be very anti-God. Pride leads us away from what Jesus said was the greatest commandments, to love God and to love people. See, we can't love people when, when it's just about me and everyone else is the supporting cast. That, that's the attitude of pride. It was, it was even in Genesis 3, it was that when, when God asked Adam uh, if, if he, if he ate, ate the fruit or, or why did he not listen to him and, and what did he do? He, he blamed Eve. Because it wasn't about him being judged. He wanted her to be judged. It was about him. She was just there. Even worse, we, we can't love God when we're full of pride. From that very beginning, we saw that the people didn't want to just be with God or be like God, but to be God, to have the same uh, wisdom, uh, to not be judged, to be able to do things their own way. It was pride. There's a big challenge in this, though. There's a big challenge in recognizing pride because, as you'll see as we move through this list, most of the sins that we commit happen when we're at our worst, but pride happens when we're at our best, or at least we feel that way. When I choose to avoid um, uh, some of the others, um, maybe like gluttony or, or lust, um, then I, I can defeat it in a way, or it feels that way, but it doesn't work that way with pride. This is, this is, I feel like this is the hardest one. See, pride tells me how good I am, and then it leads me downhill. When I do well in my spiritual walk, and I, I did good, look at me. When I, when I give, well, I, I gave a lot. That, that was really good of me to be that generous to help other people out. But I don't want people to think that I'm all about me, so I'm not going to give this time. And now I'm proud because I didn't give. Uh, it, it's just the cycle that no matter what we do, this attitude can really creep, in, creep up on us. Pride loves me. When I look in the mirror, um, I, I can be proud. Or, or should I be? I, I think we're taught that that's a good thing to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. And, and yeah, there's something to that. But the problem is that this attitude leads us to start to see our God in the mirror. And I don't mean God or Jesus. I mean we start to see our own reflection in the mirror and make ourselves our own God. And, and then we think, well, I've got it all together. And, and so I have it, I've got it figured out for me, so I have it figured out for everyone else. And now I'm going to let them know uh, pride is, is not good. One writer said that pride is the only sickness that makes everyone ill except the one who has it. Now, that makes sense on the surface. Uh, we, we don't always recognize our own pride, but other people around us sure do. Uh, but, but truthfully, pride actually hurts everyone, including the person who has it. People around us, they'll be, um, they'll be abused, they'll be ignored, they'll be used for, for, uh, for the other person's gain. Um, and, and so even that person then, they may not recognize it, but it's a byproduct. Then, then all of a sudden, if I'm proud and I use people and I abuse people and, uh, and I ignore people, and, and then all of a sudden I'm isolated. 
I'm in this alone. I, I don't have anyone uh, with me because of my pride. It, it takes away the relationships that we can have that can be so life-giving. It, it, we think of pride as, as, as having the most talent or the gifts, and, and it, it's not about having talents and, or even knowing them. We're supposed to use them. We're supposed to let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. So it's not about having gifts and even using them. It's, it's when I start to think that my gifts are better than yours. And, and if I think my gifts are more useful than yours or better than yours, then all of a sudden I start to think that I'm better than you or more useful than you. That's when it becomes a problem. There's a story in Luke chapter 15 that is really a lot about pride. Uh, Jesus told a story of a man who had two sons, and both were very consumed with themselves. See, the younger brother, uh, pride led him to waste everything. His, his uh, inheritance, he asked his father for his inheritance so that he could uh, go and do what he wanted. And then there was a broken relationship, and then he, wasn't, he didn't feel like he was the son anymore, so it ruined his identity. It took everything away from him very quickly, and then he was left alone in isolation in a foreign land. Well, when he finally realized what had happened, I don't know if you ever considered my pride did this, but when he realized the situation he was in, he went back and he begged the father for a job so he could be a servant. Uh, but the father said, no, you're, you're my son, you're home, and, and I welcome you home. And he threw a party. Well, the older brother, he, he saw that the father had uh, thrown this party for the younger brother who, who, had, who had left, and uh, he was upset, and he wouldn't go into the party. Think about the same thing that the younger son, his pride led him away from people. The older son, his, his pride, he listed his accomplishments, his obedience. It wasn't fair, and so pride put him into isolation as well. It was even by choice. In, in their pride, both these, these boys or, or these men they demanded life on their own terms. They got exactly what they wanted and then realized how bad it was. See, pride leads to loneliness, whether we have people around us or not. You could actually be alone or you could have 100 people around you, and if you're proud, there's a good chance you're, you're lonely, you're isolated. Jesus often characterized, uh, the, the darkness out, or, uh, characterized hell as the darkness outside, a place of solitude or loneliness. I know there are different reasons for being lonely or for being alone, um, and some have, may have nothing to do with pride. So this isn't about just being alone or loneliness. This is about how pride can pull us away from people and really damage or ruin all of our relationships. But loneliness, being alone. Think about like the, the scary movies. Uh, you, you know what happens in a, in a horror film, right? Um, there's, a, uh, there's a group of people and then there's always a bad guy. They have a mask and a knife, and no one seems to be able to protect themselves from one knife or one person. And so they, they separate and they hide, and, and, and one person goes up into the closet, and, uh, and someone else goes into a basement, and someone walks across the street to the cemetery and hides, hides there for some reason. And another person's just going to go for a night swim in the lake. I don't understand those movies, but that just seems to be what happens. They separate, and then the bad guy you know, usually kills all of them separately. That's just the way it is. Now, think about uh, putting yourself in a, in a situation of being alone. We know that there's strength in numbers. Imagine that someone would blindfold you and drive you out into the woods, uh, a, a forest that you've never been in. You, uh, it's not like the one you hunt in every summer. You've never been here before, and you have to stay there uh, all night and, and the next day and the next night. Um, and, and just, uh, now some of you are probably thinking, well, I, I do this every summer. 
Um, I, I know some of you are kind of weird like that, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I bet for most people, you have the uneasy feeling, like I have to go get water alone, and I have to get firewood alone, and even worse when it's dark, and you start to hear everything going on around you, but you're the only one out there. I have to go to sleep alone and hope that if I hear something, I wake up. I mean, it, it sounds, I think it sounds pretty terrifying. But do that same thing with five of your friends. How do you feel now? Uh, you probably think, thinking, oh, which five friends? I, I know some of them I can't really trust to, to help very much. But, um, but it, doesn't it change? Doesn't it change the, the feeling of being alone or being with other people? That's life. It's not just about survival. But why does it sound so fun with other people and, and we really just hope to survive when we're alone? I think that's life. When we feel like we're in it alone and we have to, we have to do it by ourselves and we have to get by and we have to take care of other people and, and it's all just, all the weight of the world is on us, that's tough. We're isolated. Well, sometimes it's pride that leads us to have that mindset or the attitude. When we're alone, we're vulnerable. And we lose often. There's an explanation very early in the Bible, Genesis 2.18. God says it is not good for the man to be alone. And that's still the case today. Yet when we get consumed with ourselves, that's exactly what happens. And so Jesus taught often about humility, not pride. Because he knew that uh, he, he knew people who would care for others um, more than themselves. Because he knew that that would unite them. See, the life of, of heaven focuses on, on the good of others. It picks up the spoon not to fill your own stomach, but to fill the starving stomach next to you. When everyone does that, everyone eats. And so now that we've looked at the issue of, of pride and loneliness going together and humility and community going together, I want to take it a little bit further this morning. See, sometimes we're prideful because of a different word. It's the word vainglory. Now, this is an old word, and we probably use the word vanity now, uh, being vain. But the original list of the deadly sins, was it was not seven deadly sins. It was eight deadly sins. And it included both the word pride and vainglory. Well, later on, pride was dropped to bring the number down to seven because it's the number of wholeness and completeness. And it was assumed that pride was at the root of all the other sins, so pride was the overarching sin, and it covered all the other seven. And so vainglory was on the list. Well, then vainglory, uh, for some reason, people started using the word pride in place of it. And, and so pride then, in a sense, replaced vainglory. So we don't, we don't even talk about it. So vainglory or vanity. Now, there's a, there's a little difference or a big difference, but just little bits in the wording that might separate it. See, pride says, I think I'm someone great. But vainglory says... I want you to think I'm someone great. There's the difference. It's, it's about my concern for other people, what they think about me. See, prideful people, they want to be number one. They want to be superior. They want to be great. Vainglorious people don't really care if they're the best. They just want you to think that they're the best. Vainglory causes us to be more concerned about our, our reputation, what other people think, than our character, who we actually are. Everyone wants this. I, I really believe that. I, I think it's part of this idea of living in, in community and living life in relationships. We, we, we want people to think that we're good people. I don't want you all to think I'm a jerk. And so whenever I hear compliments, 
then it makes me, oh, they do like me. And since they like me, now I'm, maybe I'm more willing to have a conversation with them because I don't think that they hate me. You know, when you, when you start to, when you think that someone doesn't like you, then you don't really maybe be as friendly, and then they probably don't like you after that. You know, it's just, it's the cycle. And, and so it's really tough. So acknowledgement is, is a big deal. We want it at work. We want it at home. We want it at school. We want it at church. Um, and, and I think there's something in that because we want positive relationships. I know at home, when I do housework, um, then I, I, want, I want my wife to know it. And I think I told this story a few years ago, but some of you weren't here. Um, but um, one time, we were really behind on laundry. I mean, like, maybe six loads of laundry or eight. I don't know. It was a lot. And, uh, and, and Jen was working, and, uh, and so I thought, I'm going to do all the laundry just to, to, to help. And, and so... <laughs> Because uh, it wasn't my clothes, you know. I don't wear, I don't wear clothes. Uh, anyway, um, so I did, I did all the loads, and I folded them, and I put them on. Uh, I think it was a, a spare bedroom we had had. Uh, maybe it was even before kids. Uh, I don't know what we did back then. Apparently not laundry. But there's, there's probably twelve piles of clothes on the bed, and and she got home, and uh, and I said, hey, hey, go in the room and look. And so she went in, and first thing, why didn't you put them away? Because I wanted her to see how much I did, you know. That's that's just in our in our nature. So now I put the clothes away when I when I do anything. Um, it, it it's just what we want. We want people to recognize us, but it can be taken too far. See, Jesus directly confronts this this uh, idea of vainglory in the Sermon on the Mount. He warns especially against the religious forms. He he said, "Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven." So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. He makes it very clear that the result of vainglory is this, that if you're, if you're doing what you are doing, so that other people say good things about you, you probably get that, but that's it. That, that, that's, that's all that's left, just, you know, really empty words. And so I said earlier that it's, it's kind of tough, you know, to, to recognize this. It's, it's hard. How do we see pride in our daily life? Well, you see it. I see it. We see it in other people, and, and usually we can't stand it. When someone else is we might say arrogant or conceited. Uh, we use this to describe the pride in their life, um, and, and even if it's not there, but we, it's how we feel, and that's really what matters in this. And, and so uh, how do we spot it in our own lives? Because if you ask anyone if they're arrogant or proud, they're, they're going to say, oh, no, I'm a humble person. But you can't even say that without sounding proud. And so what I want to do is, is ask some diagnostic questions. Um, as I thought through some of these and um, and tried to answer them for myself, well, maybe I do have some some pride. Maybe I don't really do this. And so some of the questions here: Are you teachable? Are you are you willing to learn from someone else? Now most of us would say yes, but here's here's my follow up: Are you willing to learn from someone who, let's say, you're a young person? Would you would you be willing to learn from someone who's 30, 50 years older than you? And there's that, that phrase, like, when, when an old person says something to a younger person, they say, okay, boomer. Like, it, it's just like this acknowledgement that 
you have no idea what you're talking about. The world's changed. Or an older person uh, hearing a young person and, and just discrediting completely because, well, they haven't even lived hardly any life. What do they know? Or if you're a, a man and you hear a woman say something, would you, would you be willing to listen? Or a woman listening to a, a man, would you be willing to learn from it in some way? It doesn't mean that what they're saying is right, but, but do you have enough humility or um, at least consideration to at least listen? What, what, what do they say? Now I'm going to filter it and decide if I believe it or not. But would I at least listen? Another question is, are, are you easily offended? Are you overdramatic? Uh, usually, if, I think if we're easily offended or if we're overdramatic, then we make things that are a small, a small issue into a really big deal, and everything that anyone does that offends me or upsets me, I'm going to make sure everyone knows it. That's pride. You have to be recognized all the time, not just sometimes, but in every moment. When someone else does something great, well, yeah, they did that because you know what I did for them. Can you celebrate the success of others? Not, not just see it, but can, you, can we actually celebrate it? Why, why them, not me? Can you have a conversation that is, doesn't always spin back to you? Can you sustain a conversation with someone by asking them questions and then not saying, uh, oh, yeah, well, I did this too, and uh, oh, you went to Europe? I, I went to Europe. I've been there so many times, though. I'm, I'm kind of bored with it now. Can we just be excited for the other person? Can you have a, a conversation with someone and, and actually listen to them, or do you just wait for your turn to talk? Um, I actually just did that this morning with with someone. I was uh, having a conversation, and and um, and and she said something, and then I said, so, and I, said, oh, hold on, I just preached about this this morning, so I'm gonna have to let you finish what you're gonna say, and then I'll talk after. But really, I was still waiting just for her to stop so I could say what I wanted to say. But that's that was pride. That was wrong of me. So I'm confessing right now. Um, and do we boast? Now, I think we've come to a point in culture where most people don't just openly brag in, in the same way that, that maybe it used to be because we have enough uh, uh, just uh, thought like this is going to come across as me being arrogant. And so there's this thing that's, that's been more popular. It's a humble brag. And, and so someone, instead of saying, hey, uh, look what I did with this company and look how good we made it, they'll say, I'm so humbled to be a part of this company that did such great things. But really what they're saying is, I did really good things through this, and now look what it did, right? It's just disguising um, being uh, the humble brag is just another way of, of boasting. And so what's the answer to pride? Well, John Stott, an, an author and preacher, he, he wrote the following in his book, The Cross of Christ. He said, the essence of pride is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. And so everything up to this point all the way back to, to Genesis chapter 3 was, was the prideful person separating themselves from God. That's what we've done. That's the bad news. Now the good news is, is what comes through this. So we're going to go into our time of communion, really, to get our answer uh, to, to the, the issue of pride. Because I don't think we could possibly look to Jesus. I don't think we could possibly look at our, at our, our bread and our juice representing Jesus' body and blood poured out for us. I don't think we could actually look to the cross and think, 
Jesus died for me. It was my sin that nailed him to the cross. Look how good I am. It's not a way to make us feel bad, but it's a, it's a way to look at, at, at God, at Jesus, and think, look what he did for me. How appreciative am I in that? And so as we take communion, I want to consider the words that, that Paul wrote about Jesus, uh, the humility that he displayed on the cross, and also the opportunity that he gave us to live this life full of relationships with others and with him. And so after I read the scripture, I'm simply going to pray and we're going to take communion. Uh, but I want you to hear these words because I really think this is the, the solution or in, in the example and the hope of not living a prideful life. Here's what he says. Therefore, if you have any, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing to be take, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the example uh, through Jesus. As we as we look through the scriptures this morning, uh, from the very beginning of time um, to today, uh, pride uh, pulls us away uh, from what you, you've offered us. I, I pray that you would help us to discern uh, doing good for you, doing good for others, and always thinking about ourselves. Uh, I thank you that even in our sin, our weakness, as we, as we go through our, uh, our life, uh, thinking about um, many of the things uh, that just focus on us. I, I pray that you would help us to, to have a bigger uh, view of things, that, that this isn't just for today, uh, for the next two or 50 years. This is for eternity. And so I thank you that you've given us uh, a little bit of what it looks like with heaven on earth, uh, that we would live life in a, in, in, with, with joy in community with one another. And so I thank you for this morning and for everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.